I have the immune system of someone who's never been exposed to a germ before. Right. And it just takes just someone talking about sickness for me to catch a cold. Oh, all right. I'll keep it quiet. Yeah. Yeah. So please be be quiet. Speaking <laughs> of sickness, you're traveling soon, right? Mm-hmm. Tomorrow, right? Uh, Friday. Friday. Where are you going? Uh, uh, Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Flying? Mm-hmm. Oh, nervous? No. I can see it in your face. It's okay. <laughs> if there's one person on the planet that's immune to this, it's this guy. Oh, my God. That is... You are begging. <laughs> you are begging. Yeah, you can knock on that wooden dresser next to you all you want. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Oh, have we started? This is the Just Jiu Jitsu Podcast. Thanks for whistling. I'm not whistling. I'm Andrew Desimone here with... Croyler Gracie. They call him Croyler Whistling Boy Gracie. Oh, my God. Here we are with episode 58. This week, we're doing stand-up part two. And I'm sorry to disappoint the people last week who the title of stand-up made them think that maybe there would be some stand-up comedy in this from you. No. We didn't. Maybe they, I think some of them thought maybe we found some like old like stand-up comedy tapes that you, you had like filmed of yourself and. No, I don't think, I don't think, you know, being a smart ass and high levels of sarcasm is good enough. What do you think a like sixteen-year-old Croyler's stand-up routine would have been about? What, what would it have centered? Like mine would have been about Lord of the Rings, um, not having girlfriends, I, and I I didn't talk much back then. No, no, it was a lot of a lot of like hate for humankind. Okay. <laughs> All right, so you'd have been like a darker comedian. Yeah, talking about uh, talking about just the darkness that's inside you and sure <laughs> and you would judge your success by the how deafening the vacuum of non-laughter was right all right so you'd be like the anti-comedian yeah you'd be like the joker you'd turn in that's that's right. if you would have become a comedian you would have essentially morphed into a joker type character right 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 you've got the laugh <laughs> Thanks. It's a I little think. low for Joker, but oh, still, right, right, that's right. just a different direction that you'd be taking. Gotcha. Well, thanks, I think. All right. Well, this episode is not about stand-up comedy for Home Croydler. This one is about jujitsu on your feet. Last week, we did the first part, which was more about... Conceptual stuff. Conceptual stuff, what uh, pe- the people's comfort level of... Standing up in jujitsu and how it has maybe changed over the years. This week, we can settle more on techniques right. and some concepts, but like, uh, yeah, no technique really. When you first start off in technique, we talked about this last week. Not a lot of people do, not a lot of schools focus on stand up for certain reasons. Uh, where do you start to, how do you start to introduce people to stand up? in jujitsu what's a good way to like 
dip their toes in the water. Well, I think, I think, um, if you get somebody who's brand new and you start, you know, the, the sparring sessions or the rolling like on your feet and they're brand new, they're going to hate their life and it's going to discourage them from training. You know, I think you got to have somebody who you, you got to have people that have been at it for a little bit who kind of have the bug, you know, and they are, you know, actively trying to improve and kind of get to that next level. Um, usually when you get to like beginning of blue belts or at later stages of white belts, you might start getting interested in takedowns because you may think a hey, competition could be fun or learning a new skill is so it's such a common thing for you now that it's not a big deal if you fail, like you've kind of gotten used to that cycle, that, that learning cycle. So, um, at our school, we, our takedowns are later in the curriculum for the beginners class. Um, the Clobel class will learn takedowns um, as we go. We've done a couple in competition classes. We've done it as part of warm-ups before. Um, we now have the wrestling program at our school. We have a judo program as well. Judo after dark? Judo after dark. That's right. We, That's uh, right. We have like a nighttime Brenda. judo class. It's, yeah, it's going to be branded judo it's, after dark. I, w- I, wish, I wish we could have the sound effect of judo and like the neon light sound of it turning on like yeah. zzz, like that buzzing after yeah. dark yeah that's can, a good one can you you have a better like a deeper voice when i say judo can you go after dark like judo after dark <laughs> uh it, it, was, it, was <laughs> it was deeper than my voice yeah. but put that little like at the end that judo after dark <laughs> the back of your throat sound i, I don't think you could do that after after dark <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm just gonna say judo after dark, and that was it. Yeah, that was perfect. You nailed oh, it. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, yeah, so those are ways that you start to introduce people to right. stand up. Now there are different elements, like we talked about last time. Stand ups, not just takedowns. I was kind of trying to think of different elements of stand up, and here are some of the ones I came up with. All right. And I know you're gonna be like, "Yes, great, that's perfect, Andrew. Why don't you just do the rest of the episode? I'm gonna leave." But I'd, I'd like you to stay here and maybe just allow me to just bounce okay. some ideas off you. <laughs> One of the first ones we've got hand slash wrist control. Absolutely. Yes. Another one that I have is head control. Absolutely. And with that also, I think that kind of ties into like posture. Absolutely. Those are the same thing as far as I'm concerned. All right. Head control, posture lapel control but would that also would you count that as a head control at that stage um you're kind of getting into controlling the upper body you know it kind of kind of bundles together okay ear control (laughs) ear control okay now now i'm getting i'm being a little too specific (laughs) yeah that's a new system that i'm working on okay um is that following the comptroller it is following the comptroller yeah let's start with some of those all right let's start with hand and wrist control okay that's something that you can do no gi you can do gi from a wrestling perspective hand control was something that you use all the time and you use it for different things a lot of the times you'd be using it to direct someone to move their shift their weight their center of gravity or to bring them close and expose like a leg sure there's one more very important principle let's see we have um oh uh, slapping and then bumping fists to start (laughs) i almost missed that one no so the idea is so you are right that grip control whether it's the hand the wrist the sleeve 
whatever um is can be used to set up better angles which is the, the very first thing right getting good angles on people attacking from the outside in wrestling specifically um in judo you'd attack from the inside so you want to create openings um with uh, as far as pulling people in it can also be used to create movement that favors you predictable movement pull push etc so yes you can take advantage of that then but the the probably the most important one is the fact that if you control their grips they don't control yours so you can advance un, unhindered for mm. as long as possible and maybe they recover in time maybe they don't recover in time so if nothing else if you have grips you know that they can't if, control if you. you have if you control their wrists they there should be no way for them to take you down mm-hmm. right now the problem is, is is for us to achieve a takedown we have to forego one or both risk control and then it becomes that that fight so if you have good risk control they don't have control in your wrists you can then use that that advantage that slight advantage to get better angles and then to create movement in a predictable way and they can take advantage of so all of a sudden you don't use the wrist control or the hand control for just one thing, but you achieve three small victories. And then by that point, if everything is right for the opponent to recover, he's got to win three equally good victories to just break even. It's very tough. So you talked about with uh, the first part of wrist control, you can change the angles and you said wrestlers want to go usually to the outside judo judo guys to the inside. Um, so generally speaking and and there are exceptions for both cases but generally speaking wrestlers like to come in from the outside right so you think arm dragging you pull the arm across their body and then you come in from the outside of that um versus let's say uh like a ipon seo and again like a drop seo or standing uh, ipon where you would open the arm and you'd rotate inside so you'd open their arm, expose their chest, and come into it. Where in wrestling for like a double or a single leg or an arm drag, you drag that arm across because now they don't have any power to open their arm and fight you. And you can essentially collapse that, that arm and start attacking. Okay, I was going to ask you, what are the pros and the cons of those two different approaches of let's say, the attacking from the outside? Well, I think, I think um, there's benefits to both. Um, as far as... Um, for me, from the outside, one of the benefits would seem to be there's not a lot of risk because if something fails, you're on the outside and you can just back, back right, away. Right, So, you know, when we, the benefit of attacking from the outside is you never have to bear weight. That's the greatest benefit, right? Nobody's going to sprawl on you if you arm drag to single leg versus if you attack from the inside, like a double leg, generally speaking, on a double leg, you're going to attack from the inside if it fails they'll sprawl on you or in judo if you do a foot sweep where you're attacking from the outside and it fails no big deal but if you do like it's like a drop where you come in and you spin underneath if it fails you're inside of them they can fall on you and it becomes very very difficult to move so what are the pros then of the inside going inside uh, generally speaking um, you can deliver far more power on inside takedowns and outside takedowns. Um, if you just look at standard things like, um, I'm not talking about speed, I'm just talking about like impact power, right? A, a double leg where I pick you up and slam you will have far more power than a arm drag to single leg, right? Good. 
or versus like if I do like a foot sweep, you feel stupid falling onto it, but it doesn't really hurt versus if I do like a Harai Goshi or Uchimata where you get tossed on your head, like that's far more powerful as far as like impact goes. So the, those inside takedowns are more powerful. Does that mean they require you to be powerful? No, I just think you can generate more force. Okay. Because you create a rotation. Generally speaking, inside takedowns have some sort of rotational component to it. Even double legs, right? You cut the corner and you spin. So, rotational being you, once you're inside, you move forward and then you are moving, rotating to one so side you, or the so other. Your energy is rotating, right? So, if you think of like, um, if you think like, uh, like running the pipe. Right. So you shoot a single, they start defending, you know, it's like the laziest wrestling takedown ever. You backstep, you kind of drag them down. The reason why that works, because you have a rotation. So their weight isn't going straight back, it's being pulled sideways. So it works. It's more powerful. Now, imagine that same single leg where you're just pushing the guy back. They can hop, 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 hop forever until they get tired or they trip or whatever but as soon as you add that rotation now the torque creates more power and it's harder to keep up because the angles are all wrong the other part of the wrist control you mentioned was uh, we had the uh, changing angles and then directing them or moving them forward or back yeah, control controlling movement in a way that's predictable so like you mentioned like in wrestling if I have a grip and I arm drag, or even if I just pull the hand, I know that you're gonna step forward with one leg or the other. And I can use, that's a predictable movement that I can use for my advantage. The same way in judo, I know if I have a sleeve grip, you're gonna try to break that sleeve. And to break that sleeve grip, you have to move in a particular way, you have to shift your weight a particular way, and that opens up my ability to act on that reaction. Head control posture super important all these all these things we're mentioning are things ideally on your stand-up you'd be mixing back and forth so you're not just focusing on your grips you can go grips in the head the reality is any good takedown will will have elements of all these things Mm -hmm. and one more concept you didn't talk about oh okay we'll get to that we'll we'll get to that that one don't let us forget uh head control so far, all these things we're talking about, I picture, I picture wrestlers because they do a lot of both of these things. Right. They have they're fighting for the grips, and then they're they're constantly fighting with heads, pushing the heads down. What is that? What are you getting from that posture? What are you looking for when you're on your feet, um, playing with someone's well, head? If, you, or if you keep pulling their head down or popping their head back, right? Uh, let's first talk about pulling somebody's head down. So the more you pull their head down. If you're successful and you do break their posture forward, they become weak, they become less balanced, mechanically inefficient. If they react and they pop their head up, now there's a gigantic weight shift because they had to counteract your weight pulling them forward, which means that they put a lot of emphasis on moving backwards. There's a, a weight shift that you can also take advantage of. Um, furthermore, it creates a predictable behavior, right? If I know if I pull you down, you're going to pull up, I can take advantage of that. The same way if I push you, I know you're going to come into me, I will take advantage of that as well. There's a lot of fainting and like trickery is when you're on your stand-up trying to do it like baiting people. Sure, sure. Um, 
the 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 big thing though is that for those things to be worth anything they actually have to have some weight behind them like you 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 your feints can are only good if you could actually take advantage of them you have to be convincing you have to be no i think convince is the wrong word because we're not the idea is not to fake well i mean sometimes it would be let's say you are i'm thinking you reach down like you're going for a leg causes them to then react by backing up, but they're leaving their front leg open to you. And, and then you now and, have a clear you, shot for that leg. And you can play that way for a while, but as you go up in levels, maybe your, your opponent knows you're faking so they won't react. So a way to make your fake always work is to have some oomph behind it, right? If you reach for an ankle and you're hoping that they step back, you have to have the commitment that if they don't step back, you're gonna snatch that ankle. So you have to be, you have to have a threat. Yes, be a threat. it has to be real. It has to be real enough. Right now, you may, it may not be the takedown that you want, but it could be the one that you got because they didn't react to it. Mm-hmm. So it's very, very important. And and as far as controlling posture, um, the, the, the greatest benefit of controlling posture is that you can make people mechanically inefficient and limit mobility. And if, you, if they're mechanically inefficient and their mobility is limited, cause them to be off balance is super easy what does playing with the head and posture do to their efficiency so your your body is designed to if we're just talking about like muscles right um your your joints your muscles your ligaments your tendons they're supposed to dance no okay sorry <laughs> they're supposed to fire and uh contract uh, in in certain ways right so um if you look, let's say, um, if you look at a, like a, like a power lifter, right? Their body, they work their body in such a way that it functions at a very high level of efficiency, the way their body is designed to do. Very linear, straightforward. You know, your biceps curl, your chest pushes. It's very linear. You take a gymnast, right? Um, who whose body is very strong, equally strong, one would say, they may not be as strong in the linear motions that your body's designed to do. But over time and training, their body becomes strong in directions that most people's aren't, right? So, um, so I, I just had this discussion. I was teaching a class today and um, one of my private class students, he was like, yeah, I kind of pulled him back a little bit. I'm like, really, what'd you do? And he's like, yeah, I was, I was squatting. He's like, I was going light. I was only going like 350 pounds. That's it. And I'm like, you're crazy. That's not light. That's like huge. He's like, no, it's like, I bench more than that. He's like, that was just my warm up because I was going to go to like five, five fifty. And I'm like, that's insane. Right. So linearly speaking, he is mechanically very powerful up and down straight forward you know but the moment you take his power and you rotate it in a way that is no longer linear he becomes weak whereas i'm very physically weak but my body is strong in those out of linear movements because of grappling right so for the listeners because i know it's a hard concept to understand think of it this way let's say you bench 200 pounds right and you're laying down on the bench you pick up the bar you bring it straight down to your chest it touches your chest you don't bounce because that's poor form you extend the arm straight up 
and that's easy for you. You can do like 10 reps. That's linear power. That's mechanic. That's like physical power working mechanically well on the linear range of motion. That's what your body is designed to do. Right now you take that same 200 pounds and you rotate it so that your left hand gets closer to your hip and your right hand gets closer to your head. And then you try to bench press while you shift your hands right so that your right hand goes down to your hip your left hand goes above your head so every time you go down and up your hands move up and down your body you won't be able to do five times right mm -hmm. and that's because your muscles are firing in a way that's not mechanically efficient so as we take this back to the way you're relating this into the jujitsu and on your people being on their feet the person who is having their posture messed with are they, there is there linear motion then you're thinking the forward and back and what they're used to doing and then you're everything, disrupting that with right. everything gets broken and it never everything doesn't function as well or as powerful or as fast your balance may all of a sudden be very off um so you, you've done a body fold right body fold takedown mm. so body fold takedown is like one of the simplest takedowns in the world basically you hug their hips and you pull their hips to you but the key is to pull their hips to you in such a way that their hips are in front of their shoulders right so they're no longer underneath their shoulders it's in front what happens when you do that their legs stops moving they can't move their legs anymore and then you just push them and they'll fall they'll tip right over mm -hmm. so what you've done there is by pulling by breaking their spine the way their spine is supposed to work by breaking that posture and pulling those hips forward the legs can't fire and taking them down is very easy and so before we leave the posture people should think of that as you're disrupting you're causing them to work from places that they're not Correct. Used to working. Correct. And you're weakening their you're weakening their posture. You're weakening their balance. Uh, you're uh, weakening their physical ability to move. Their strength. Everything kind of diminishes. Because in order for them to do anything properly, they have to start from a point that has good Correct. posture. Correct. What was the other element that I did not think of? So that's one that like a lot of people don't think about it unless they've done judo, because in judo it's a very specific footwork. No. Foot placement. Well, I figured that was part of the whole stuff we've done, talked about it so far. I mean, that could be its own thing too. But um, Kazushi. So Kazushi is um, a concept in Judo, which is uh, the act of off-balancing, right? So in Judo, all their throws are, there's a very heavy emphasis on creating an opening causing Kazushi where you, you create an off balance and then executing the throw. Meaning, you know, you, you're not going to just shoot a double leg and slam somebody down. You have to get them off balance first because when they're off balance, they're easy to tip. They become stiff. It's easier to move them. You know, if you just grab somebody's legs and try to do a double leg, it's just not going to work. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think it's a very underestimated concept in wrestling. I don't think it's explained super well. I think it's just one of those things that it does. It's in all their setups. In any good wrestling setup or any good judo setup, there's going to be a moment where the opponent is off balance. In judo, they just make a point of emphasizing this is the off balance we want. This is the moment that he's weakest at. Mm -hmm. Right? I mean, in wrestling, I think it's more taken for granted. Uh, granted. Um, so, 
Um, Kazushi is the art of off-balancing. If you learn to off-balance somebody, you can throw them any way that you want. Okay. Balance is a big part of the stand-up game. So what do you, what are concepts that someone should know from a, like a mentality of trying to take someone down center of gravity? Are you thinking? Well, yeah, center of gravity is important. So if you're trying to take somebody down and they have a good, good posture, good base, good balance, they're strong. They know what they're doing. You know, you, you can't take somebody down like that. You, you have to strip things down, right? So you have to create good grip control so that they can't do you any damage and you can move unhindered. You want to get good angles, you know, through proper foot placement, through proper grip placement. You want to get, you know, an opportunity to control an upper body or, or their hips. Um, either or will work either end of the lever, right? If you consider the head the top of the lever or the hip the bottom of the lever, if you can control either or, you're doing well create a moment of off balance and then a moment where they're mechanically weak and you're mechanically powerful. If you can do that, you can achieve a takedown, but that you, you kind of have to strip their armor down before you can do anything. It's like you, you, you don't just mount somebody and armbar them. You know what I mean? Anybody that's worth their weight, they're going to defend that armbar. And the real battle, the funny jujitsu is stripping away their defenses and, and leaving them exposed for an attack. You ever go against someone who just seems to have, annoyingly good balance absolutely i mean it happens right um and and like you just every you're you're like changing angles and you're pushing and pulling you're doing stuff and they're just like hopping and just staying on their feet right but those people those people are annoying because they tend to be um either like 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 hyper athletes you know or they have a very specific body type or a different body type that makes it that benefits them they know how to use it well and becomes an issue but those people are the people that are going to ensure that your technique is its cleanest because if you do the technique correctly it'll work you know techniques always work mm-hmm. if it fails it's because you failed do you have good balance do i what do you think i've never been with you on your feet um i've seen you surf. <laughs> uh, right right i can't surf. yeah uh, i mean I, I can i can i can't do like um like on like uh, wakeboarding or anything like that right on your feet as far as balance i don't know i'd say i'd <laughs> i'd say no so we'll, we'll try it. And yeah. Then, then you get back to people. We'll try it next week. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll do a couple of rounds next week. Oh, fuck. I'm not going to take you down. Why not? Because I don't have good enough takedown. I think that you know your technique allows you to stay on your feet. And yes. this is my theory. Your technique, I don't know if you have good balance or not. I'm saying you're a big guy who... Uh, just from seeing you ski and water surf or uh, surf Wake, i'm like wait wakeboard i can wakeboard. I, 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 yeah, I can surf not great so, yeah you're not light on your feet is what i'm, no, I'm thinking no i'm not and so i'm like the the way that you would probably be i know you're good on your feet and so i'm thinking you have good technique you can read the situation and your response time like all that stuff is what right. allows you to have your good defense right it goes back to what we talked about in our speed episode right Right. My, my technical speed is very high. Right. I can, I'm, I'm very aware. I can react well. I can predict what's going to happen and I can take advantage of it. 
yeah, it's the same thing with like my strength. I'm not a strong guy. Just I know how to use it. But as far as balance, do you think if like if someone actually, has one actually, leg, can I, you? Like, oh yeah, yeah. Okay. I actually think I have a pretty decent um, sense of balance. I, for some reason, wake wake wakeboarding is not for me though. <laughs> Those things, sports or activities for a very small person, usually they're nice and easy. Go, are nice and easy. Yeah, yeah. And so it's easy for us to have a very inflated sense of ego and be like, "I am so good at balancing." When in reality, it's like, "Well, no, you're just." It's like when a, you drop a piece of paper; it doesn't just bam fall right to the ground. It slowly right. glides, and so that's that's what happens when you when I'm on a wakeboard or right. on a surfboard. Like the the wakeboard and surfboard doesn't even know I'm on it. Right. But, yeah. Yeah, it's like those bugs that sit or that stand on top of the water. Yeah, a yeah. water bug. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's see. Combos. When on your feet, there are a lot of different things you can string together to, to really make. It's like advanced level stand up where we've had judo classes. You've done um, like on competition day classes. You've given us different takedown combinations things where i'm thinking what comes to mind is oh you could go for like an ankle pick if they step back then you can go for this other angle and like as they step back and do things you can move forward and you mm-hmm. can trip this like trip this like and then at the very end of it yeah you just you can go for a throw you can right. throw them right over your hip or you can go for an arm drag try to grab the ankle and they step back. There's so many different things you can sequence together. Right. What's what's a person to do in trying to figure out these different combos? Like if you're playing a video game, it's not fun. <laughs> if you're playing Street Fighter, it's not as fun to just go punch, 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 punch. You want to see the things that come up like combo, like five, six, seven. Eight. How do you get? How do you get up to that point? You practice a lot. I mean, yeah, really? Is there not a cheat code? No, I mean it's 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 such an intricate aspect of fighting that they've created like two very dominant like forms of combat around it, wrestling and judo, mm-hmm. because it's how it's it's that intricate. You know, um, I think I think if we want to look at like a cheat code, the the best way to do it is to understand when and why. Why are you doing something? What are you achieving? And when should you transition somewhere else? Right? So if I go for, let's say an inside trip, right? So I got your sleeve, got your collar, my right leg goes in between your legs. I tried to pull the let your left leg outside of underneath you, right? Mm-hmm. Let's say you step back and you, you put your hips forward, you're pushing down nice and strong. Well, maybe my leg is already down. Maybe I just drop you're pushing forward anyways, I just drop, your weight is gonna go forward because now I'm no longer holding you up. And then I can start cutting the corner to go to like a single leg or a double leg and that can come up, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a number of different ways you can combine techniques, but understanding that my first takedown failed because you pushed forward and that disabled my ability to do what I wanted to do, I can now think, okay, this is why it failed and now it's time to move on. How can I take advantage of Andrew moving forward? Maybe I can shoot a single or a double, cut the corner, you know, maybe I do a, another trip, maybe I do a suicide throw. I accept your push forward and I fall back and throw you over the head, right? So if I understand the concepts and what is happening, I can 
create a play around it. So you have a good understanding of cause and effect. Yes. And I think that's the, when you get to the highest level, like wrestlers and judo guys, it's not necessarily whose technique is better that determines the match, but it's more the understanding of, you know, cause and effect, like you put it. Well, that's going to be the end of the stand up segment. Unless I just, what if I just said like, here's the button for Croyler's stand-up set. And then you just heard grainy audio. Like, oh, hi, my name's Carla Gracie. And oh, how about Blink-182? I mean, what's up with that? What happened to 1 through 181? Mm. <laughs> and then like the silence from the audience. Like you're giving me right now. <laughs> Come on, that's not a that that's not a terrible joke. Just that made right up. Blink one eighty two. What happened from one <laughs> to one eighty one? That is a horrible. Oh horrible fuck joke. you! <laughs> that's what I would do. Also, if I were a comedian, I, I would just I'd get mad and be like, cuss people no, out. Fuck you! That was funny. You laugh at that. Yeah. <laughs> My uncle said that was really funny. All right. <laughs> We are gonna hop over to the listener mailbag. Okay. Do 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 do. Oh, here's the listener mailbag. Is that Peter Pan or is that Snow White? Oh, I don't know. I think it was just a big oafy noise. I pictured like a big like hippopotamus walking with. I think it might have been Jungle Book. Could have been. I don't know. Yeah. So. Oh, here's the mailbag. Oh my god. Listen, it's in a chest now. It's the listener oh. mail chest. I don't I already opened it, so I don't know yeah, why I'm unlocking it. I don't know what's it. happening there. Uh, yeah. inside the chest. False bottom. There's a false bottom. There's a false yeah. Well, no, inside the chest, there's another chest. Oh. Password. There's a guy inside it. <laughs> wow. And, and he he requires a password okay. to open the bag. Good luck. You know what the password is? No idea. Friendship. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thank you, sir. He just gave me the listener question. Oh, okay, cool. He must be a very small guy. He is very tiny. Okay, this one is from Matt. Matt says, I'm a blue belt training under Heron and Henner at Gracie University headquarters in Torrance. He says, I know this is a controversial topic in the jiu-jitsu community and was wondering where you guys are on this very important issue. I remember when I started as a white belt, students in my class were all given brand new clean white belts in their first gi. There was always chatter in the locker room in the halls about you're not supposed to wash your belt. Or if oh you do, <laughs> you lose all your jujitsu powers and moves like Samson when he got his hair cut off or something. Oh, my God. So he's basically asking, wash your belt or don't wash your belt. Okay. And he also asked, do you know the origins of this? Like where that, where that notion ever came from? Well, as far as origins, I don't know that there is necessarily like an origin story to it. When did um, you first hear that? Has it always been around uh, since you were It's always been that way, yeah. And I think uh, there was this idea or this uh, belief um, that, you know, the toughest guy in the gym wasn't necessarily the highest ranked or the guy with all the cool geese. Uh, the belief was, and this is back 60s and 70s, 80s, the belief was, um, 
the the guy with the dirtiest skis and the holiest skis is probably the toughest guy because he's probably the guy that trains so much that his skis are just stained that way. Mm. You know, they're, they're, they've been sweat on so much that it's uh, ripping and tearing. It's, um, you know, he's just that guy. And it's not that he smells bad or he's actually dirty, but his ghee just... It just shows the work, you know, that he's put in. And and you got to keep in mind that back then, colored geese were not a thing. I think the first blue gee came out like, eight, like late 80s, early 90s. So, like, it's not a thing. They just didn't have the technology. That's right. <laughs> so, um, you know, if you if you go to a, to a school and everybody, every school you go to, they're all wearing white white geese. And, and you see this purple belt with, like, this pearly white gee. And you see the, another purple belt with this dingy white gi it was believed that the dingy white gi guy was tougher because he trained so much more that his gi was just stained that way so i i believe that over time that became the thing right mm-hmm. because back then people didn't have a lot of gis like it wasn't like you had 10 or 15 gis you might have one or two you know so i think over time that may have morphed into you know you want your gi to like stay in a certain way or to get that smudge of training. Like I remember growing up when I used to have my gis and I used to train like the knees of the gi were all gets, gets scuffed and tear first and get the dingy mark first on, on the, on the knees. Um, because you, you're using it a lot, you know? Um, and I think that it, it morphed mo- like everything morphed slowly over time to you know if you are the cleanest guy in class you're not necessarily the toughest you know if you don't wash your belt um you know if you wash your belt then it means that you're you're washing away your knowledge and people Mm. are stupid and they believe that (laughs) (laughs) so you'd wash your belt um i don't wash it all the time i will admit it um it's not because I think it's going to wash away my knowledge. I mean, because if that was true, then anytime you did no gi, you'd be, yeah, nobody, right? right? Um, or anytime you were promoted, you'd be like, I, I can't. I got nothing. I right? can't go. Right. Yeah. No, um, I think for me, if, if I don't wash my belt, you know, two, three times a week, it's because I just forget it at the school. And that's really what it comes down to. But it's not one of those things where... Um, it's not because I believe or anything. I think everybody should wash their belts. You know, maybe you don't need to wash it as regularly as your gi because your belt doesn't accumulate as much sweat, you know, but nonetheless. So the Just Jiu-Jitsu podcast holds the position that you can wash your belts. Knowledge is not washed away when you wash your belt. It's just like your diploma. I mean, you wash your diploma, don't you? I mean, it would be gross not to. Am I right? I don't wash my diploma. Ugh. <laughs> that's disgusting yeah. yeah I mean it was more along the lines of you know you should probably wash your shirt and your jeans and your socks it's more right. along those lines yeah but not not your jeans all the time well you don't need to wash your jeans all the time no what do you think is a good amount how many good wears can you get out of jeans before you wash that's what you're doing when you're wearing it rolling in shit that should probably be right away. Probably just once? Yeah. Okay. Well, what about just like wearing to work, like office job to work? Well, if you're, if you're not working somewhere that's dirty and you're not sweating a lot, you're not doing any physical activity, you're literally just putting something on that's so that you're not naked in the office, that probably a few times. 
I say you can get a strong week out of those jeans. Whatever. Yeah. But if you don't wear underwear, then you should probably wash those more frequently. That's probably true. This is Andrew's life advice there, yeah. guys. You an underwear guy? Do you wear, do you wear underwear? Yeah, I wear underwear. I've met some freaks before who like to wear, who will wear jeans without underwear. It's not that I haven't done that before. Well, but it's, do you do it like when you're, when you don't have underwear? If you're like leaving, let's say the gym or something, you're just like, ugh, these underwear are sweaty or, sweaty or, ugh, I shit my underwear. I've never shit my underwear. Yeah, me, me neither. I was just kidding about that one. Yeah, and you, yeah, like, and you just have to throw away those shitty underwear in the Hardy's bathroom. Then you realize that's a very specific you realize, oh, situation. Cool. Now I'm gonna have to walk out here, and <laughs> and this first date is already not going well because my love car broke down. I to hear that story. It's one of the it's just stories. hypothetical. It's just made. Well, up. I like yeah. to hear this hypothetical story that your that happened to your friend at some point. Yeah, yeah, I will. It's just it's still raw for him, and so no. maybe we. We could give him some time before we talk about a week, it. Week or two. Okay, we'll, we'll do that. <laughs> uh, we have one more thing here. All right, so we had a, a listener of the show who knows that I, th- I think they really enjoy our cafe astrology segments. And when we talk about uh, your zodiac sign and how <laughs> important it is for people to know about their horoscopes when making serious decisions in life and just kind of planning. And so this person came up with the chitsoscopes. Wow. That person has way too much time on their hands. <laughs> this person no, is a very clever person. And I, I think... Who did that? Just a fan, good f- fan of the show. Who's that? Pudgy Budge. That's, that doesn't tell me anything. <laughs> <laughs> they were. They just asked to be anonymous. Okay. Oh, okay. They, they just. They didn't want anyone to know. So I, I like. I like this idea of a jujitsu scope, and so we'll both. We'll do your horoscope sometimes, but I'll. I'll put together some jujitsu horoscopes for people. We. We can have like a. Uh, they mentioned we could try to come up with some types of, like zodiac signs, and people will be classified under those, oh, okay. and then we can talk about. Okay, so how the stars align because we all know that jujitsu is heavily influenced by the way the stars are aligned in the sky and where One, our world is in this 100%. big crazy universe. I mean, go back to Carlos and Elio. They constantly are talking about how you need to focus on what where the moon is and where the stars are. I think that's drawing your energy from them even. Draw yes. So, um, well, before we go, have a. Good trip in Philly. Yep. I'll be at Sion, um, Pennsylvania in uh, Northampton or Southampton. Sorry, Southampton. I go there all the time, but it's Southampton and uh, just outside of uh, Philly. And then I will be at Grand Rapids uh, on the 28th of this month uh, doing a seminar at Black Lion. I think April I have BJ in Paradise. I'll be there for a week. Um, if anybody ever wants to do a trip, that's a really fun trip. And then I will be at J Pages in Phoenix in May 16th, on May 16th. Okay. Yeah, I'm worried about you and all this travel. I, could I, before you leave, I'm going to give you some essential oils to help boost your immune system. If you actually have essential oils, uh, I, we might need to like call this podcast. It's now. just stuff that you dab on like the arch of your f- your foot um, just behind your ear I have some turmeric mixed with some olive oil that is perfect for 
curing both the coronavirus and a lot of forms of cancer. Okay. So make sure you take that. Uh, I have some homeopathic medicines for you also before you leave. And just to be safe, I'd like to read your palm to make sure there isn't any, there aren't any like signs I, that I'm, you shouldn't go on I'm, a strip. I'm not doing any of that. We'll, we, all right, we'll go now so people don't have to listen to because this is going to get ugly because I'm your friend <laughs> and I'm really trying to save your life here. So I'm let just, me go. I'm just ungrateful. Like let that. me go get the oils real quick. All right. I'm out.